You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A.com. Good morning. He is risen. Amen. Amen. It's great to see all of you here, and I really want to extend a special welcome to those of you who are visiting today. We're just delighted you're here. Um, Thank you for spending part of your Easter Sunday with us. Our text for this Resurrection Sunday comes from Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 24, the first 12 verses. If you don't have a Bible, it's printed for you in the worship folder. I'm going to read it. You can follow along. This is God's word to you and to me today. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is God's word. Let's uh, pray before we unpack it. God, we've come, all come here this morning with baggage. Um, Some of us are skeptical. Some of us are celebrating, some of us are convinced that if you are indeed real, you won't have anything to do with us. Some of us don't believe any of this, but wish it were true. Some of us are hurting, discouraged, grieving, depressed, and afraid. Lord, we need help beyond ourselves, so speak to all of us this morning through your word and through, especially through your final and best word, the Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Well, Jesus is conspicuous by his absence from the account we just read, uh, but That absence is sort of the point, isn't it? The tomb the women came to on that very early Sunday morning, probably still dark as they made their way to the tomb, that tomb did not contain the body of Jesus. Now, I was a lawyer for a number of years before becoming a pastor, so I know something about legal proof. 
And I know that an empty tomb by itself doesn't prove that the corpse in it was resurrected. But as we can see from this account, I mean, there are other pieces of evidence, right? The tomb wasn't entirely empty. According to the witnesses, and the witnesses were a group of women, which is a remarkable fact in and of itself. Remarkable that the men were afraid and hiding. Remarkable that in a culture that undervalued women and it did not regard their testimony as faithful courtroom testimony, that the primary witnesses of the central fact of our faith were women. The first announcers of the good news were women. Well, according to these witnesses, the, the, the tomb was not empty. There were angels there. Uh, and those angels uh, related to them what had happened to Jesus. Now, you may or may not find angelic testimony persuasive, uh, especially if your worldview rules out the possibility of the supernatural. But there was something else in the tomb beside the angels. There were those linen cloths that had been wrapped around the body, uh, the dead body of Jesus. Uh, that's what Peter saw, uh, Luke tells us in verse 12, as he stooped down, looked into the tomb, and looking at those linen cloths, he, he marveled. It caused him to be amazed. You think about it, right? Uh, the working hypothesis uh, at the moment probably is that Jesus' body was stolen, right? You get a sense, I mean, things are moving fast and there's a lot of almost panic. There's a lot of urgency. They, they're trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, the obvious uh, uh, thinking would be, okay, they, somebody has, has come in and stolen Jesus' body. But if that were the case, <clears throat> you'd expect the linen cloths to be gone, right? They would not, they would have just picked up the corpse and ran off with it. Uh, maybe they weren't sure it was the corpse of Jesus, so they would have unwrapped it to confirm his identity. But in that case, uh, the, the linen cloths would have been strewn all around the tomb. What we know, not so much from this account, but from John's account, which t talks about this same incident, is that when Peter stooped down and looked into the tomb, what he saw were undisturbed linen cloths. It's, you know, the descriptions are difficult because we've got, we've got men who are trying to describe something for which they have no categories to understand. But near as we can tell, it was the linen cloths were there and it was like Jesus' body had passed through them, leaving the, 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 the cloths there all wrapped up but empty. You know, we've grown up on, uh, you know, computer uh, imagery and special effects, and so we can almost imagine it. They, they, they didn't have any categories for, for understanding what they had just seen, but Peter knew something strange had happened, that this wasn't normal, that, that something that he couldn't quite explain has happened in that tomb. But there's more than just 
the angels and there's more than the linen cloths. There, there, there's more to the story. We, we just read the beginning of the story. If you go on, and not just in Luke's account, but in all, all four of the gospel accounts, as well as Paul's letters, what, what you'll learn is that over the next 40 days after this Sunday, Jesus, the living Jesus, appeared uh, a number of times to a number of different people, at one point to 500 people at one time. Uh, and he wasn't a ghost. He was... Uh, he was Jesus. Uh, he was recognized. He was a body. Uh, he was in a body. His body, uh, his body remarkably still bore the scars of the crucifixion. Uh, he, um, he could be hugged. He could be touched. Uh, he could eat. He could speak. And so we, there were a lot in those 40 days, a lot of people who saw Jesus walking around, uh, these, they became eyewitnesses of the resurrection. And some of these eyewitnesses were still alive when Luke wrote his account. Actually, they were, uh, many of them were alive when, when, when Luke wrote, Paul wrote, John wrote, Mark wrote, Matthew wrote. Uh, and that's why uh, they include their names. Scholars have, have, have studied and, uh, the, these names that, that the gospel writers give us, and the consensus now is that this is the way uh, ancient Near East history was written. It was more like journalism. Uh, you would, you would you know, tell what happened, and then you would cite your sources, right? It's not like an undisclosed source has said, right? We're used to hearing that. Uh, these are disclosed sources. So when there was a large group of women uh, that went to the tomb, but in that group of women, we know of three. He names three, right? Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James. Why those three? Uh, the scholars will say it's because they were alive. They were alive when Luke's account went out. And so if you wanted to check Luke's sources, if you wanted to confirm his story, you go to the sources. Well, that's all by way of background and, and, and kind of what we get right off of, the, uh, uh, off of the top of the account. The resurrection was a historical event. It happened at a, on a particular day at a particular place in history. If it didn't happen, uh, the Bible even says, uh, then Christianity falls. Uh, and that we are fools and we are most to be pitied uh, if we believe in Jesus if the resurrection isn't true. But now with that resurrection 2,000 years in our historical rearview mirror, uh, it's, it's still a lot of people come to Easter today 2,000 years later, even Christians with some pretty serious misunderstandings, misconceptions about, what, about the resurrection and, and, and more broadly about what the faith, what Christ, the Christian faith uh, is all about. So what, I, what we're going to do this morning here is unpack this event of, this, of the women coming to the tomb and we're going to 
see what it tells us about three things. First, what does it tell us about what Christianity is not all about, okay? What it's not all about. Second, what it is all about. And then thirdly, we're gonna, ju- we're gonna explore briefly just some of the significance and the meaning of the historical resurrection of Jesus for you today. What does it mean for you? How does it intersect your life in 2022? So that's where we're going. So first, what Christianity is not all about, according to this account. Well, you know, what were the women doing here? Why had they shown up? Well, they were treating Jesus uh, like he was dead, and he had been dead. Uh, And they were coming, assuming that he was still dead. And that's why the angels asked them that great question, why do you seek the living among the dead? That's really a, uh, that's that's the way angels rebuke you, with a cute question like that. It really is a rebuke. You know, you're looking for Jesus, but you're in a, you're in a cemetery. Why, why, are you, why are you in a cemetery looking for Jesus? You don't look for living people in a cemetery. But they, they were acting on their understanding that Jesus was dead, still dead. So what were they doing? They went to pay their respects to Jesus. They were trying to be good people, nice people. They were trying to do the respectful thing. They were acknowledging Jesus to be important to them, but not resurrected. You know, a lot of people still do that. Maybe you're doing it today. Now, you don't do it, of course, by visiting a tomb. You do it when you say something like this. Um, I respect Jesus. Uh, I like his teaching. In fact, I'm going to do or I'm trying to do my best to live out uh, the ethics of Jesus. But I draw the line at the resurrection. I mean, I can't believe in the resurrection. Right, we're modern people, we're in a scientific age now, uh, unlike the disciples who were in a, a primitive, pre-scientific age. Uh, we know today that people don't rise from the dead. Well, C.S. Lewis would, if, that, if that's what you're, you, you were saying, you're saying or thinking, C.S. Lewis would call you a chronological snob, right? Um, I heard an interview just recently of a, uh, f- a famous theologian who recalled in this interview, remembered attending a Jesus seminar event years ago in Southern California. The Jesus seminar w- was a group of scholars uh, headquartered, I think, out of the Claremont colleges that was dedicated to disproving Christianity, especially the the supernatural claims of Christianity. Uh, And so they they had this conference and this theologians there. It's a conference full of theologians. And one of the things the Jesus Seminar people did, this theologian recalls, is, is trot out as one of the speakers at this conference, a forensic doctor from the LA County coroner's office 
to address these theologians and tell them with great gravitas that scientifically we know that dead people don't rise. He's laughing. The theologian's laughing when he's saying this. He says, seriously, they, they brought out a, you know, a coroner to tell us that dead people don't rise as if we didn't know that, right? As if the disciples didn't know that, right? That's the, you know, are we the ones who just figured out that dead people don't rise? Good grief. Uh, I mean, the disciples, they, they might not have had smartphones, but that didn't mean they were not smart. They knew uh, that, God, that dead people don't rise uh, just as well as you and I do. Uh, the fact of the matter is, it has never been easy to believe in the resurrection. So you know, don't, don't think that we're, we're, we're now you know, enlightened and so we know that, it's, uh, that this just is not believable. It wasn't believable then. That's why the women showed up. They, they had been told time and time again by Jesus that he was going to rise from the dead. They didn't believe it. Expected to find a corpse. When they came and told them the news that the angels had told them, the disciples didn't believe them. They thought it was nonsense. Not it's never been easy to believe in the resurrection, precisely because it is a unprecedented, unique, historical event. You know, science is good at verifying repeatable things. This isn't repeatable, right? The Son of God rising from the dead is unprecedented, it's unique. So bottom line, Christianity is not all about you. That's what we tend to make it when, when we treat Jesus as if he were dead, right? It's, it's not how good a person you can be. It's not about you being nice. It's not about you living out the Sermon on the Mount, the ethics of Jesus. And it's not about you respecting Jesus as a great but dead moral teacher. That is not Christianity. A lot of people think it is. It is not. So what is it? What does this text tell us that Christianity really is all about? Well, in a word, you, you'll, you know, you new life people will be shocked. It's about Jesus, right? It's not about you, it's about Jesus. And specifically, it's about, the, it's, it's the fact that Jesus really lived, he really died, he was crucified, and he really was bodily raised uh, three days later. In fact, the angels said that it, it was necessary that that, uh, for that to happen. It was necessary for Jesus to die and be raised. Did you see that? Look again at verses six and seven. The angels talking to the women, reminding them what Jesus had said. He said they say, remember how Jesus told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man, that's another title for Jesus, that's a, that's a divine Messiah figure, that the Son of Man must be delivered must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. You see, Jesus didn't die as an example for you of what self-giving love looks like. 
It was, that was not a necessity. He didn't die as a hapless victim of unfortunate circumstances. Jesus died because he chose to. Jesus died because he had to. Jesus died because it was the only way to rescue and renew human beings like you and me. Now let me illustrate that necessity if I can by um, reference to an old movie from the 80s. I think it was 87. The movie The Last Emperor came out about the boy, boy emperor of China. And in that movie, someone asks the, the uh, boy emperor, what, what happens when you do something wrong? And the boy emperor answered, when I do something wrong, someone else is punished. And to prove his point, the emperor, young boy emperor, reaches over and picks up a jar and dashes it to the ground, breaking it. And one of his servants is promptly beaten. Now, some of you young people are thinking, hey, this, this, has, this idea has some promise. I wonder if we can institute something like this in my family. Maybe if I do something bad and my brother or sister get punished, you know, that would be cool. Uh, but we, we, we sense the unfairness of that, right? We instinctively sense the unfairness of that uh, imperial arrangement. A person should bear the consequences of his or her own actions and decisions. That's only fair. It's fair that we bear the consequences of our own actions and decisions. That's the problem. Because if God is going to be fair, if he's going to make us bear the consequences of our actions, then death wins. Why? Well, it's, you know, it's because of what the Bible calls sin. And I'm, I'm aware that some, a lot of people just sort of tune out when they hear sin. But, but what, what the, the Bible's analysis of the human condition is that the way we think, right, in our, our thought life and then the actions that grow out of our thought life are not holy. They're not always holy. They're not always moral. Um, they, they are often mean and evil, and, and, right? It's, it's why we, we, it, we would cringe if there was some way technologically to put up on a screen the things that go through our minds. We've sinned, we keep on sinning. If, you don't, if you're not persuaded by that, read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is essentially Jesus' commentary on the Ten Commandments. And, and, and you read the Sermon on the Mount and what you come away realizing is that the way God understands the Ten Commandments, you and I can't help but, but violate them, multiple commandments, multiple times every day. We're breaking them often when we don't even know we're breaking them. But that's the human condition. Um, so uh, 
with our thoughts and actions being less than perfectly holy and God's nature being loving, of course, but God's nature is also to be just. God is perfectly a God of perfect justice. He's a God of perfect fairness. He has to act, he will act in perfect fairness. And fairness dictates that you and I bear the consequences of our actions, of our thoughts, of our sins. Uh, and, and, and Jesus, and, and the Lord will not tolerate forever anything short of his moral perfection, his holiness. It will, anything that falls short, including you and me, will ultimately die in, under God's absolutely fair judgment. That's a scary thought, I mean, but that's, that's, the, that's the human condition. So what, if that's the case, I mean, if, we're, if, we, if we are sinners and we can't help but keep sinning, and that sets us up in fairness for God's judgment, where's the hope, right? Where, where, where's the lifeline? I need a lifeline. Um, it's at Easter, right? It's in the central truth of Christianity. You know, the essential message of Christianity is even more remarkable than what happens in the last emperor, right? In, right, in that ancient Chinese imperial pattern, when the king did something wrong, his servants get punished. But Christianity, Easter, says that when when the servants do something wrong, outrageously the king is punished. That's exactly why the death and resurrection of Jesus was necessary. Because without it, right, you and I would be facing God's fair judgment and we wouldn't survive that, but with it, with the death and resurrection of Jesus, if you embrace it, right, if you believe it, trust it, stake your life on it, then you get God's grace and Jesus gets your justice. And the resurrection of Jesus after getting your justice on the cross, his being raised on the third day, then is a vindication. It's, it's a demonstration that God has accepted the sacrifice, the willing sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf. Your sin, your shame has been paid in full. So in Christianity, bottom line, Unlike any other religion of the world, every other religion of the world says, has one form or another of um, it's about what you do for God. I do X for God and God does Y for me. But in Christianity, it's about what Jesus has done for you. Only the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus seal the deal uh, between you and God. So everything we do as Christians, friends, is not an attempt to earn God's love, it's responding to God's love. It's like the women at, at the tomb, right? They, who become the first uh, witnesses of the gospel, the first people to proclaim the good news, right? They, they do that, that's, 
that's something we do, but we do it not to earn favor with God. We're doing it in response to what God has already done for us. And what this means, of course, and I, and I want, I know some of you need to hear this, is that that means that no one can sin his or her way out of the reach of Jesus Christ. There's not one person here who's got something in your past, something going on in your present, a fear of what might happen to your future. There's nothing in your past, your present, or your future that, that, will, that, that has the power to separate you from the power of Jesus' death and resurrection for you. He can reach you with his forgiveness and his grace, right? Because it's not about what you do or have done. It's about what Jesus has done. All right, third then. Um, what's the significance of the resurrection for you and for me uh, today? Uh, the fact that Jesus was raised on the third day 2,000 years ago, how does that how does that have relevance to me, San Diego, 2022? Well, first of all, you've got to remember, right, that the resurrection, although right now isolated, right, right now it seems like a one-off, never-to-be-repeated demonstration of God's power over life and death, right? It's, it's like, it, it's, to some of you, it might seem kind of random. I mean, what? You know, you got this obscure rabbi, been a carpenter uh, in the ancient Near East and God raises him from the dead, right? Seems random. Well, it's, it, it is right now standing by itself. It's unprecedented and, and unique, but it won't be that for long, right? Um, one theologian put it, I think, brilliantly. He said, we should think about the resurrection not as some odd event within the world as it is, but as the utterly characteristic, prototypical, and foundational event within the world as it has begun to be. You get that? Don't think of the resurrection as some odd event within our world but think of it as, as the utterly characteristic, an utterly characteristic event of the world that Jesus has just, has inaugurated with his resurrection. When Jesus walked out of that tomb, he ushered in a new world, a new kingdom, right in the midst of the old one. So right now, Christians, we, as you, we, we well know, right, we live with kind of a foot in both kingdoms. That's when he started his project of human rescue and renewal. Uh, he, he called it, Jesus in his own words, called it a process of making all things new. So, Jesus, just understand as we think about the resurrection and its significance that it's, it's not only a, 
a, a one-of-a-kind historical event right now. It's going to happen to you if, if you embrace the, Jesus by faith and believe in his life, death, and re resurrection for you, uh, right? The, 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 the ultimate Christian hope is not that our souls go to heaven. The ultimate Christian hope is that one day our souls will be reunited to bo our bodies, our bodies will be raised. The, the, the Christian message is that, is that the, the kingdom is, is ultimately a real kingdom, right? A flesh and blood kingdom. You're not gonna be floating on a cloud. You're gonna be walking around in your body in a new body, a never to decay, never to get sick, never to cry body. Now what is, so what does the resurrection mean for you today? Well, listen, it means, it has to mean right now that your life has meaning. <clears throat> Some of you are wondering, you know, where, does my life matter? Does it have any meaning at all? Great Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy nailed it with a, uh, with a hypothetical question. He said, is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Can you, is, the answer is no. I don't know if you're like me, I think about that a lot. I think about it on Sunday nights when we're gathered around the family table with my children and my grandchildren. And I think, you know, we're, this, if this all ends in death, then what's it for? Yeah. That, you know, we, we all instinctively sense this, don't we? That our, it's what gives our rise to that occasional sense of futility that we have about life. But listen, friends, Jesus' resurrection means the death of death. So your life doesn't just end. You don't just cease to exist, which means your life has significance. It has eternal significance. Second, it, the resurrection means you matter to God, right? Not just that your life has meaning, but that you matter to God. Why would Jesus Christ endure what he endured if you didn't matter to him, if he didn't love you? if he didn't want you to be with him, if he didn't take delight in you and joy in you, if he's not mad at you, but he's proud of you. You know, a lot of you have had parents that, that didn't love you like you should have been loved. You haven't felt that kind of delight and joy and acceptance from, uh, from a, a, a father, uh, but you can have it, right? Jesus' resurrection says he loves you, he accepts you, he delights in you. Jesus' resurrection means, and this, this, this I think, I hope will help all of you as you're driving by on I-15 tomorrow morning, right? It means your work matters to God. The resurrection means your work matters to God. You know, I get that from Paul, the Apostle Paul. He, he wrote a famous 
treatise on the resurrection. It's in, we have it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's a long essay where he goes deep into the theological weeds about the resurrection and all that it means. And that, but then he winds it up with this wonderful trait. Okay, okay, now I've told you all this about the resurrection, so what do you do now? He says, go back to work. Go to work and, 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 and do your work enthusiastically because it matters because the work you do is not in vain. Everything you do, Christian, in the power of Jesus' resurrection, and of course we take our next breath by the power of Jesus' resurrection. Everything you do at work means that the effect of your work, the results of your work, whether that work is in an office, whether it's at a job site, whether it's in your home, whether it's raising kids or balancing a ledger book or signing a tax return, fixing an engine, arguing a case, digging a ditch, the effect of that work, Paul is saying, is gonna be felt in, it's gonna be celebrated in, and it's gonna be part of the new world that Jesus is bringing to pass right now. That's mysterious. But it's wonderful, isn't it? You're not just, you know, clocking time here. You're not just punching a time clock. What you do matters. What you do is somehow, believer, going to contribute to the renewed world that Jesus is even now making. Resurrection also means that the wealthy, the powerful, the beautiful, as the world defines beauty, the unscrupulous, the haters, the killers, they don't get the last word. You know, we're, as Robin said in the call to worship, man, we're living in a tough time. And a lot of us are, are losing hope. I mean, we're looking at at the situation in, in Eastern Europe, in Ukraine, we're looking at, 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 at rising bills that we're, having, we're struggling to pay. We're looking at the most vulnerable in our society being threatened. But friends, the wealthy, the powerful, the unscrupulous, the evil doesn't get the last word. Death doesn't get the last word. Jesus does. Resurrection, two more. Resurrection means, and then I'm done. It means that if you embrace the resurrection by faith, if you, your political allegiances will change. No, I'm not saying you'll magically vote for whoever. What I'm saying is that when you embrace the resurrection, your ultimate political allegiance shifts and your ultimate political allegiance rests in the kingdom of God, which is in the process of coming into being right now. That's why Jesus commanded us to pray every day, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It started with Jesus' resurrection. It's continuing now, right? The fact is that Jesus has ultimate political power, right? You measure political power by who bows to whom. 
Well, at the end of the day, every knee is going to bow to Jesus, and every human authority structure, whether that's an empire, a country, or a school board, is going to be gone. Jesus will stand as the king of kings. Now, does that mean that we all just, just sit around and, and let the world go to, you know, to heck? Politically, no. It doesn't mean you don't engage politically. Of course you do. What it means is that you engage politically in our world with hope and perspective. Right? It means that, that any political victory uh, you, you achieve is, is, is tempered. Your, your joy in it is tempered, right? Knowing that any human political victory is at best partial, it's less than perfect, and it's most likely temporary. And it means that when political defeat happens, when your candidate loses, when the proposition you support uh, fails to pass and those political defeats will happen, it means you don't become afraid. It means you don't become despairing. It means you don't become bitter. Why? Because you're citizen of God's kingdom and Jesus reigns. So engage with hope. Engage with perspective. You know, engage Engage with the personality of Jesus, right? With love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And finally, I'll, I'll borrow a phase, phrase here from uh, Tom Wright. He, he wrote a definitive 700-page book on the resurrection of Jesus. And, and he says that Jesus' resurrection does not mean escape from the world. It means mission to the world on, based on Jesus' lordship over the world. Resurrection doesn't mean escape from the world. I think so many people think that. You know, I'm going I'm to get out of this place. My soul's going to go to heaven. And I'm going to leave all this mess behind. No, no. Right now, when you die, your spirit immediately goes to be present with the Lord. But the ultimate reality, right, is that heaven comes down. And that this planet is renewed by the Lord and it's populated by renewed, resurrected people, you and me. Jesus' resurrection doesn't mean escape from the world. It means mission to the world based on Jesus' lordship over the world. You are called, Christian, to colonize the planet with the life of heaven right now. It means you and I carry the same announcement the women carried that day. It means we love our enemies and feed the poor, take care of the widow and the orphan and the alien. It means that we live with the, with the fruit of the Spirit that I just listed, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. It means we fight for justice. It means we raise our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord because people, we are people on a mission. And we're on a mission because Jesus went on mission for us first. 
and has forever and definitively rescued us and is even now in the process of renewing us. Friends, the resurrection says love outlasts the grave. The resurrection says that what is broken can and will be mended. The resurrection says suffering and death do not get the last word. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And may you celebrate it this Easter. Amen. He is risen. Now let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Um, thank you for living for us, becoming one of us, uh, and dying in our place. Um, thank you that you answered the necessity um, willingly. And that because of you, uh, our sin is paid for, our shame is covered, uh, and that we can live now with confidence that our future is secure in you. Lord, I'm mindful I, of, of how this message might get heard by people who right now do not believe you. I, I pray, Lord, that this is not heard as some vague pie in the sky, you know, promise that, you know, it's a hap everything will have a happy ending. Lord, I, I pray that somehow uh, the, the people that aren't trusting in you will, will see that this is not, it's, it's not a, a kid's message, it's not a, it's not a myth. It's not, uh, it's not a metaphor, but it's, it's, it's real history. Um, and I pray that your spirit would speak to all of us and convict us not only of our, the reality of our sin, but the reality of the solution for it, and that's your life, death, and resurrection. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton. Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.